1: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, I'd like to welcome you to our show this morning. Excuse me, and Daniel Tersini. Sorry, a little block of my ear piece there. And Daniel Tersini, we would like to welcome you to our show. Good morning, everybody.
2: Good morning. Good morning, Kathy.
1: How are you guys?
2: Uh, gen- generally
3: fine.
1: That's good. Generally is good. Alex, how are you doing? Keeping, keeping, my, keeping on my toes this morning. I just got out of a meeting, but... Uh, I had Daniel here help to set up for the program today. Excellent, excellent. Well, today's show is live. Our number is 416-245-1534. Do follow us on our social sites. We are at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And our handle is at thehealthhubrmc. It's thh at radiomaria.ca. If you have any questions that you'd like to ask any of us, Any requests for shows, topics, we always like to hear from you. Um, We've got some really good topics up and coming, so always good to hear your feedback because it gives us lots of ideas. Um, And do subscribe to our podcast. We are the Health Hub. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, all your favorite podcast platforms. And you can also find our podcast on the Radio Maria website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiase.com. And if you like what you hear, we'd love for you to uh, share share your enjoyment of the show. It really does help promote our show and especially the wonderful guests that we do have on the show. So we do appreciate that. Uh, Last week's show, How to Stop Binge Eating with Dr. Glenn Livingston, is up and ready for you to listen to. So welcome to June. Uh, it's been a little bit of a cold start. i hoping to get uh, some warm weather up and coming. I woke up this morning and I think it was only plus five. That's more like fall weather. But uh, I think the, the up and down with the weather is probably what's uh, spread this cold around our house. But it is June and June is a special month uh, in the cancer sphere. This is Cancer Survivor Awareness Month. And as the war against cancer uh, continues, there are some battles being won. Over 60% of Canadians diagnosed with cancer are expected to survive for five years or more after a diagnosis. Cancer death rates have been declining since 1988 among men and since mid-1990s among women. These are all statistics taken from the Canadian Cancer Society and the Government of, cancer, or Government of Canada. Uh, the cancer mortality rates are decreasing more than 2% per year for lung, colorectal, prostate, and oral cancers in males, breast, ovarian cancers in females, and Hodgkin's disease and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, stomach cancer, and larynx cancer in males and females. So these these are encouraging. Now, I know the opposite side of that is that we're saying that more people are diagnosed but um, we are making progress. The survival rates are increasing, and in fact, that is might be one of the most um, underattended to group within the cancer world are the survivors, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's uh, it's it's a good and bad situation. Uh, with surviving cancer, there are other things that need to be dealt with once you've finished your treatment. So, as a cancer uh, person going through treatment. You're focused on getting through your treatments, and then once that uh, the treatments and your protocol is done, unfortunately, a lot of people are um, sort of left to find their own way in the world, and that can be difficult you know after you've spent a full year in many cases sometimes more focusing on your health, uh just keeping your head down and plowing through when your head comes up at the end of it oftentimes people have a little bit of difficulty. Uh, getting uh, involved in and, in real life again
2: yeah and for yourself did you did you find um, a bit of a, a challenge in that respect
1: um, I did t- to some degree there were aspects of um, me coming out after my my uh, my cancer treatment that I found a little bit hard to deal with I had a very good support group and to be perfectly honest I managed my treatments okay. So I wasn't down and out a lot. I found, uh, to be perfectly frank, um, I had lost all my hair and I had was wearing a wig. And I found that uh, one of the hardest things for me to do was to stop wearing that wig. And I don't tell a lot of people that. Uh, so you're all privy to things that I don't often say. But I, I found that that was a very difficult thing for me to do. So um, if, oddly enough, even more difficult than actually having to wear the wig. I think everybody presumed um, that it was going to happen to me. And then it just sort of, you're through it. And it's this last thing. And it's like, you know, it, it's just a hard thing to, for, it was a hard thing for me. Everyone else has their own um, experiences. But uh, because I had so much support uh, going through things, um, I managed quite well. But there are a lot of people that don't have this support. Yes. And there is a stress and trauma with a cancer diagnosis, and some people do have a hard time getting back to work. And so, this is an area that uh, I try and focus on. Um, and because I said it's it's a growing group, it's it's a it's a wonderful thing in one aspect, but it is it is something that um, we could do better with. But I wanted to. Um, in the in the the my vantage point of being a cancer survivor and being a professional working with cancer patients, there are many traits that I see over and over again with cancer survivors that I want I want to to nail down three of them because they're the three ones that keep coming back. and uh, I, I just wanted to to share with you some of the very positive traits and uh, that I think that I see with cancer survivors and things that they've used within their journey with cancer that I I do believe have helped them to be a successful survivor and will help them to carry on in life. The first one is uh, a resolve to really change diet and lifestyle. Um, and this, this obviously depends on where you're coming from, but many cancer patients change their diets to include whole foods, plant-based foods, and eliminating processed and inflammatory foods because they understand that what they eat impacts their overall health. These, uh, it's a very common thing that people incorporate supplements that they've never had before, and it's a real turn inward, a focus on their own health. They also understand the importance of sleep. So these things, you know, we go through life, and until you've given the, your you're, you're, you're face-to-face with this knee-jerk issue, mm-hmm. uh, you don't think about these things too much. But when you have to, these are the common things that I really see that cancer patients do focus on, sleep again being very important and in incorporating exercise into their lifestyle. So diet and lifestyle, definitely um, a common trait with many survivors an improvement in that area. A willingness to take more active participation in, in determining their cancer protocol and working within their cancer protocol. It's overwhelming sometimes when you're sitting in front of a doctor and he's giving you options and words that you really never heard of. And this is all within a great fear that cancer patients have. And I, I find that those who do well don't just accept what they're being told, they research, they get a tribe together, they figure out what is best for them. And this gives you a sense of ownership, and it gives you a sense of purpose, and it gives you a role in your own health. And perhaps
3: control would be an appropriate word there as well, right? So
1: Absolutely. The loss of control that some people feel, you know, it, between a diagnosis and and being thrown into the medical field and the te- it makes your head spin. Mm-hmm. So, those that sit down, you know, it, there's there's no harm in waiting and and taking the time to find out what is best for you. Because when you take that time, you believe that your protocol will work, and belief in what you're doing is imperative.
2: It's half the battle almost, right?
1: It is. Your head leads where your body goes. So if you are not fully invested in your cancer protocol, it may not work as well as it should be. And I'm talking about all aspects of cancer care. You know that I'm an integrative person when it comes to cancer care. I was uh, a person that had chemotherapy and radiation, and I believed and trusted my doctors I believed and trusted the other integrative practitioners that I was working with. And if I didn't, I don't know if everything would have turned out as well as it did for me. So I think that that is, is very, very important. And thirdly, in, in hand in hand with this, is the belief that the body can heal. If you don't believe that you can heal from cancer, again, you may have not the success that, that you... you you really should. Survivors tend to have a strong belief that given proper foods, the body can overcome cancer. Yeah. And this will help again with the protocol. And, and like with anything, the mental state in particular is very important. Yes, and, and it is extremely important. And hand-in-hand hand with this belief that the body can heal is something that's very esoteric, and I didn't include it in the top three because I find it a little bit hard to put my finger on um, many people who are successful have a belief in something higher than their own, that, that there's a power that they can give over to. And I don't know what you call that. It's it's a faith. It's a belief. Uh, for different people, it's different things. For me, it's my faith in God. For other people, it could be the power of meditation. Yeah. So it's hard to quantify. Yeah, it's unique for everybody. It is unique for everybody. But... The belief that there's something bigger than you that can be of assistance within all this is also a huge piece of the puzzle. So it is, June is Cancer Awareness Month. I've got a lot of things posted on my personal site about it, about statistics, about uh, qualities of care and things like that. But uh, I wanted to bring this forward to everybody because it's an important month, a very important month within the scope of cancer. Our guest today is Dr. Christina Carew. Uh, we're going to be talking about a real interesting subject here about molds and their connection to health. Um, it's, it's something that's you know we don't often think about. And I think that by the end of the talk with Dr. Carew, you are going to have some more tools in your tool belt to be able to speak to some people about, um, to speak to your practitioners about maybe why you're not totally getting to the root of some health issues. But Dr. Carew is a naturopathic doctor who practices strategic functional medicine in Toronto. A published author and researcher, she is a lifelong scholar, always looking to synthesize and combine new research and information into her clinical toolbox. As a medical investigator, she focuses on finding the biomedical reasons for symptoms that are often unique to each patient. Christina's journey to naturopathic medicine was inspired through working with teen mental health space, within the teen mental health space. Her goal is to be a catalyst in helping clinicians reframe how they think about mental health and approaches to treatment. Her practice goal is to help patients remove the obstacles that stand in the way of living a healthy, vibrant life. Christina focuses on empowering patients to make informed decisions on their health journey, but focuses on the need for individuality in treatment approaches And teaching patients how to listen to their own bodies. This is spot on for what we're trying to do here at the Health Hub. We're trying to give you tools to help you on your own health journey. And we want to, you know, expose you to different things that you might not have thought about. I think you're going to find this a very interesting talk. We'll be covering points like why molds grow, where you can find them in your lives, and health issues associated with common molds. We'll be back to talk with Dr. Carew in a few minutes.
3: Looked you in the eye and hesitated when I asked if you were alright. Seems like you're fighting for your life, but why? Oh why? Wide awake in the middle of your nightmare. You saw it coming, but it hit you out of nowhere. And there's always scars when you fall that far. We lose. Dawning of the day, heart racing as you made your little getaway. It feels like you've been running all your life, but why? Oh, why? So you pull away from the love that would have been there and stop believing that your situation's unfair.
0: are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Our show today is live. If you'd like to call in, our number is 416-245-1534. And again, please do follow us on our social sites. We are at The Health Hub RMC on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Dr. Carew, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Awesome. Thank you for having me.
1: It's a very interesting topic and uh, not one that people would do- draw direct lines to their health with. What got you involved in this area? I mean, you're so well-rounded in the area of integrative health. Why is have you focused on this area um, in the recent past?
2: Uh, well, the irony is my my husband actually works in the military and he worked on a boat for many, many years and boats are really moldy. Oh. <laughs> and so... Um, So that was part of it. We lived in a we lived in a house in Halifax that uh, survived the Halifax explosion, which we thought was a great story, but probably was a bit moldy. (laughs) And uh, I, I found that a lot of patients just weren't getting better. And it seemed to be the connecting link to why someone could have treatment that everyone else had, but they wouldn't get better and someone else would.
1: So this isn't a new area of study for you? now.
2: I guess everything that's a little bit weird is a lifelong passion. So,
1: I, Well, it's very interesting. Now, you started off in the, in the area of mental health. Are there mm-hmm. connections between these two or are they separate topics for you?
2: No, not at all. Um, so lots of times people that have mold exposure or mold toxicity, one of the main things they'll come in and say is, I have brain fog or I have severe anxiety or depression, Some people will say, you know, I'm weeping for no reason. I can't really figure it out. Um, So it's not just a physical symptom. Sometimes it also affects every part of your body.
1: We've had a lot of rain this last little bit, and I know you and I were speaking, and I think this is how we sort of honed in on this topic that it's so relevant right now. Um, Has there been a big increase in symptomology in connection with this damp weather that you've seen over the last few months?
2: Yeah, it's sort of two parts. So if someone already has exposure to mold, sometimes when it's um, rainy or the sort of change from fall to spring or when the snow melts, um, that's when they'll see their symptoms become worse. So people will say I've chronic sinusitis or I'm really unwell and I have a lot of brain fog or I'm getting um, ice pick pains or electric shock sensations or Um, Some people will even get um, more fungal infections. So think like athlete's foot or yeast infections or um, skin infections where it seems like a little bit unusual but itchy. So that's that's sort of one part. And then the second part is um, we'll see sort of all the flooding and people whose houses have, you know, rain damage or water damage in about three to six months. Um, it takes for a mold to start growing and impacting your health. And so we'll sort of see that coming on just maybe as fall starts again.
1: Now, would you say that molds are, um, they initiate health issues or they exacerbate health issues?
2: Hmm. I think they they do a bit both. So uh, they're sort of the outer layer. I always think of the body as a sort of series of layers. And sometimes we can go right to the core and get at the, at the infection or the cancer, things that we need to do. Um, and sometimes we, we try all those treatments and it doesn't feel like it's working and we kind of have to back up and say, okay, what piece did we miss? Um, mold itself is like actually the oldest living species on earth. <laughs> and we know that it's really important, right? It transforms our plant, degree, uh, plant debris into new growth. So it's really important in our lives outside. It's just when it becomes inside that it becomes a, a more of a health hazard for people.
1: So we're not talking about molds that may grow within grasses and things like that. The the health issue are the ones that we are taking inside the house.
2: Yeah, it's more like things that have started to grow um, either with like your notice. So sometimes people will know they've had a leaky roof or um, something happened to their basement. And lots of times you don't even have an idea that it's even happening.
1: Well, that, you know, oddly enough, uh, a few years back, There was mold in my mom's house uh, in the basement, so it was quite damp, excuse me. And they didn't find it by seeing it. They found it because they were doing some construction. So how do we know that there is mold in a house?
2: Yeah, so houses are, are complicated, right? Because sometimes mold grows inside our cooling system or inside the walls of our house, or maybe we've purchased a house and we don't know the house history, um, so sometimes we can visually see it. In my own house, I'll give you an example. We actually had a flood in our house, and we were really good about remediation, and we're really aware of it. And um, when they came to replace our floor, they actually found that our dishwasher had been leaking for two years and had a huge pile of mold underneath it. It was a brand-new dishwasher installed in a brand-new floor, and what had happened is someone, when they installed it, had nicked the hose, so it had a very tiny drip. And it had nothing to do with actual water damage that did happen in the house, but it was there. Um, And when my husband came home uh, after we had changed the floor, he was like, oh, wow, it's like a different place in here. I feel less anxious just from that one piece that he didn't even know existed.
1: Really? Now, is there a smell oftentimes associated with the molds that we're speaking about? Yes and no.
2: So, like, walking into your grandparents' house or your parents' house, sometimes you get that sort of musty smell. And that's, like, a very evident, like, there is an abundance of mold. Um But often, mold doesn't have a detectable odor. So, uh, one of the ways, sorry to answer your previous question, how to detect, there is um a company called... Uh, immunologics. I have no affiliation with them, but they're actually really a reasonably priced company. They give you these Petri dishes. You put the Petri dishes in different rooms of your house, you package them back up, you send them back, and they give you a report of the types of mold that are in the air of those rooms.
1: But are all molds damaging? Are they all bad for our health?
2: The ones that those tests detect are sort of bad for the health. Um, It's Some of it is about um, how susceptible you are. So 75% of people will be able to detox molds in their body because their bodies are just genetically programmed to be able to do so. And 25% of us just don't make the antibodies to those toxins. And so our immune systems don't know to react and destroy it. So they kind of just store the mold.
1: Well, what are the uh, optimal conditions for molds to grow? And why, in fact, do they grow?
2: Yeah, so mold grows in in areas of excess humidity. So that's like one of the components of why rain or snow or those types of areas are sort of the more common. Um, But it's also where there's something for them to feed on. And so external mold feeding in your house would be on things like drywall or plywood or subfloors or carpet or cork, cardboard. So think about like storage rooms, attics, places where um, people sort of have things that maybe don't move for a long time, old books. Hmm. Um, but then we also have sort of the other side of it. It's growing in your body actually feeds off uh, sugar and carbohydrates.
1: Okay. So those are two totally different spheres of, of mold, but they have some benefit. Yeah. Do they not? There's, I mean, to me, anything that grows like that or within our body, I, my first inclination is that it in, in good proportions, there must be a benefit to it. Or no?
2: There's, re- there's really no reason you would want mold in your body. So mold's a mycotoxin, and it's, it's super tiny and small, which means that it travels very easily throughout your body. Um, and so in that in that way, you want to make sure that you have as least exposure as possible. In the external world, like outside, for sure, we need mold to be able to renew, right, to transform our planet, um, but on the inside of our bodies, not so much. We don't. We don't want mold growing on our windows or in our basements or in our carpets.
1: So, what pops into my mind is is the use of humidifier something that you discourage?
2: It, it kind of depends. And so, um, if you notice that in using a humidifier, you're getting so lots of times patients, when I ask them the question about mold, they'll say, "Well, we just have those little black circles that sometimes come on our windowsills." Um, and we we clean those all the time. those are that's a mold that you can physically see because it's damp and and you see it in the area and sometimes the humidifier is a contributor to that. Um, but sometimes um, you can't see them, right? So maybe the humidifier is resting against a, a wall and the mold is inside that wall because of you know it's too close or it's blowing into the wall, or maybe there's already something that's been there and now it's kind of like percolating.
1: Mm. Now, is a mold, is a mold, is a mold, or are there different types of mold? Are there some that are more toxic than others?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the ones that people always know about is sort of the black mold, which mm-hmm. is generally the stachybotrys type of mold. Um, Aspergillus is as equally as toxic. Sometimes it's black. It can also be other colors. Um, and then there's there's a handful of ones that we can test in humans so that we we do have some research on them. But there's there's not a lot of research on all of molds, and so we're still learning about which ones are good, which ones are bad. How do they affect our health?
1: Is a little bit of mold? I'm just (laughs) when you started talking about the black mold, I'm thinking of my shower. Um, And you know that's it comes back all the time, and it's very hard to. It it is a little bit of is all mold bad, or is a little bit of mold okay, or are you saying clean the house?
2: Well, I think, I mean, obviously the cleaner it is, the better it is. And a lot of what, where mold actually feeds off is all of the dirt dirt and dust, right? And so if we are vacuuming and cleaning, there isn't loose things. There's not food and fuel for it. So um, that definitely plays a role, but it depends on your immune system. So in your case, having just heard your story, um, you have an immune system that has been compromised in the past, probably something you wouldn't want to take a gamble on. Mm -hmm. Um, Someone who's Maybe lived in is in a brand new house, and they see a little bit of molds in their shower, maybe they 're not as concerned, but for me i would I would want to clean it up why
1: well, yeah. take a chance We, do, we try <laughs> We try and keep on top of it, but you know it just seems to <laughs> pop up so frequently yeah, and down with the sure. toothpaste or the toothbrush trying to, to scrape it out now we haven 't uh, maybe i 'll leave the topic of molds and foods because that 's an interesting one. I get asked quite frequently, and I want your opinion mm-hmm. on it because you 're the expert. But it seems that people might be more sensitive to molds at different times of the year. Is that true or is that just? Mm.
2: It's more that at different times of the year we see them more often. So think about um, fall is when we see all those leaves like falling to the ground and then we have all the rain on top of them. So we're creating a bit of a humid environment where things are starting to decay. And so people sometimes get triggered so um, mold is like pe- people that have mold sensitivity are like canaries and coal mines. So when they walk into a space, they'll like sniff and they'll know that there's mold in that space. They're highly sensitive. And so a little bit pushes them over. So if they already are having mold symptoms and they encounter a space like fall and leaves in the forest, um, that sometimes becomes more sensitive, where spring is the same thing because those leaves have been under the snow. And then when the snow finally melts, we're getting all that water and decay. So that's often why spring and fall are worse times for people is just because the physical environment allows it to flourish.
1: Okay. I think we, it's a good time to take a break now because I want to get into the food molds and yeah. again, into the health issues that you know people may not have assumed were molds. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with Dr. Carew in a few minutes.
3: I'm strong To give me what I'm going through Well forgive me, forgive me if I'm wrong But this looks like more than I can do On my own
0: You are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria, Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416 245 1534. We now continue with the program. Here, once again, is your host, Kathy Biasi.
1: Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Dr. Carew about molds and their impact on our health. Dr. Carew, let's pull out places uh, in the house that we can look for mold. And I'll put up my hand here first and say, I found them in my espresso machine in the, um, I, uh, I hesitate to tell you my laziness in, in yeah, the when, when I don't the put out the obvious. grinds, you know, and they sit yeah. there. Um, what other common places can we look for mold?
2: Yeah. So, um, Some of the, like, most common ones are sort of, like, leaks in roofs or basements, crawl spaces. Um, I had a patient that actually had mushrooms growing in her basement carpet. Oh, (laughs) Oh, oh my. (laughs) Um, So, (laughs) bathrooms, like, windowsills, things like dishwashers or washing machines, anywhere where there's, like, water. So, um, showers, under the sink in the kitchen, under the sink in the bathroom, those types of places. But then it's also not just in your home, right? It's in your office or in your car. So um, air conditioning systems in cars are a common one or breast milk pumps. So anything where something's wet um, that can stay there for a period of time and the, the container stays moist, whether that's the container being um, your house or the inside of your car, or the inside of your um, coffee pod maker.
1: And you said air conditioners in the car, so that you're, is it blowing at us the mold?
2: It could be. Um, so sometimes when we have the air conditioner that sits for a long time in that condensation, so we see the condensation on our tailpipe and then it comes down onto the ground. Um, a lot of that condensation for some people also gets trapped in their cars. So think about uh, the cars that you get in and there's already wetness on the inside when you come in. Sometimes that's because you've left, you've forgotten your coffee cup inside, um, or something's been spilled, or maybe um, you washed your carpet, washed your carpet, and then it became really uh, damp outside. So there's lots of different places that we can see it coming into our lives without really thinking about it. Um, people often, when you think about mold, um, the first is I've always lived in this house or it's a brand new house, um, but I, I lived in a brand new house that had mold. And so um, from that, I would say that no one's safe and it's good to always kind of just check and be aware.
1: Huh, interesting. Now, let's talk about mold and food, because there mm-hmm. are two two very distinct arguments. One is that you can cut the mold out and you can eat the rest. And the other is once the mold has infected food, get rid of it. So what are the common foods that we find mold on? And what's your opinion on that last question?
2: Yeah, so the types of foods that tend to be contaminated are foods that have um, either sat around or been cured, um, or foods that have space. So think about things like um, aged cheeses or dried foods. So those are ones kind of that's that indicate that question. Um, But things like uh, grain. So grains sometimes sit in those grain elevators for more than a year before they travel to their end destination. Or nuts. So peanuts are a big one that have molds. And that's mostly because there's space in the shell. So there's room for moisture and growth. Um, So many nuts with um, space. So things like walnuts, pecans, um, cashews. So things where there's um, space between the nuts. And then even Foods like corn or potatoes, right? And so, um, for sure, things like aged cheeses are things that you're in, you're intending to eat as an aged product. And so, in that case, probably cutting off the mold is not a big deal. But having a potato that's half rotted is probably something you would want to throw out.
1: Okay, because really, people <laughs> do have to. And I've heard professionals, uh, you know, it's if if you cut it you're fine, and others say that once the spores or or whatever the the, it is that travels within the the, uh, food, once it's there, it's there. So uh, for the better part of valor, get rid of it.
2: Yeah, and ultimately it's already been in your environment, right? And so it's more if you are already sensitive or you've already accumulated it, you're not helping yourself out by introducing more and more into the body. How
1: obsessed should we be with this so when we're talking about grains that have been in in grain um, elevators and things like that we're kind yeah. of you know we're, we're yeah a lot to think about exactly sure. like how much mold is too much mold for our system to handle really how do we protect ourselves from that
2: well, I think it's um, more of a examination. So looking at your life and sort of thinking about, you know, has, has had exposure in the past? So I've had patients who um, lived in Canada for six or seven years and remember living in a moldy house when they were living in Georgia. And so that mold is actually still affecting those people. So it's sort of not like just it's been and gone. There's no mold I've experienced in the last little while. Um, but for me, when I think about than in our environment I always think about is the person that I'm giving that um counseling to do they have symptoms that already like lead, lead me to believe that their body has some mold in it the more mold that you have in your body the less you're going to want to put things in and so grains for instance it's not just that the grains sometimes have mold on them it's they actually break down and feed the mold and so if you already have mold exposure or you or you're dealing with that, then that you're kind of just feeding the same villain that you're trying to get rid of.
1: Let's go over again, a symptomology that might lead you to believe. So if someone comes in not feeling well, it could be because of many things. What makes you believe that possibly there's mold exposure?
2: Yeah. So some of the things that people will say that are really sort of um, put mold on my list are things like, a chronic sinusitis so often they'll say you know I get this sinus infection every spring or fall or I get it a couple times a year um, they feel really tired and worn out they're not necessarily tired like they want to sleep but like their battery has been unplugged um, they'll say that I get dizzy or I have disequilibrium so I feel like I'm going to like pass out uh, lots of times they'll have um, cognitive impairment or anxiety, depression, along with the tiredness. Um, sometimes people will have joint aches and pains or headaches um, or chest tightening. Um, sometimes uh, what it'll start as is like a, a random skin rash or athlete's foot or um, some people just even say they have sweet cravings, uh, urinating more and feeling really dehydrated. Um, having buzzing feelings or tingly feelings or vibrations, ice picks. Um, And a big one in kids is actually um, they're very light or texture sensitive. So a child will say, I I can't wear those socks, they bother me, or the sheets on the bed must be in this way. And um, it's the people that come in that often say, I always have this runny nose, or it's just post-nasal drip, or I've had this forever. Um, Those are often the sort of things where I'm like, oh, something is like kind of running down their battery. And how do we how do we dictate what that thing might be?
1: Okay. you mentioned briefly about testing. So I want I want you to Hmm. tell us again, reiterate about the testing. And then so we have the mold. Uh, What do we do about it?
2: Yeah, so it's kind of two parts. So there is testing that you can do on yourself. Um, And one of the easiest, cheapest ways is there's an online visual mold test at vcstest.org. I also have no affiliation with that. Um, But it's a visual mold test that was done by um, a doctor named Dr. Richie Shoemaker. And what he determined was that the eye is actually an area where the body doesn't filter very well. So mold is very um, small, which we sort of talked about earlier, and your eye is very porous. And mold has a a lipophilic side and a lipophobic side, which means it both absorbs in fat and water. So it's easy to integrate into our body and into our skin, into our organs. And so the eye is a really susceptible place, especially when we're like scrubbing the shower or, you know, going through old library books. Um, The eye then when we do this visual contrast test, you'll see that you'll have difficulty if you have mold sensitivity or had mold exposure differentiating between light and dark. So it's not that you can't see objects, it's that the contrast becomes more difficult. And so that test is uh, when you can do online, you can do it on your phone or your computer, but that's a nice way to kind of like, easy way to kind of be like, oh, is this something I need to take into consideration? Now, was that Victor,
1: there's- Charlie, Sam, VCS? Yes. Okay.
2: Yep. Yeah, perfect. Um, and then uh, there's more complicated tests. So there's like urine mold tests to see if your body's trying to excrete it. Um, and there are two companies that do that, both in the United States. And then from a house investigation standpoint, you can hire a, a company to come in, so a, a remediation company that can come in and test, and they'll often test the most commonly molded rooms in your house and give you a reading or a report. Or um, the company I spoke about earlier is called uh, Immuno- Immunolytics, and they're um, the company that does those Petri dishes, so that's like a self um self-mold test and then when it comes to cleaning or removing it really depends on what's happening so if someone has mold symptoms or isn't feeling well or has some of those things on that laundry list that we talked about I would recommend that they are not the person that does the cleaning in their house because every time you scrub and move you're actually releasing things that are now have an option of coming into your body and if you you need to for economic reasons or Um, even just time do it yourself then covering your face covering your eyes covering your hands so anything that can come into contact or could be inhaled you want to get rid of that kind of stuff Um, and make sure that you're just not bringing it all in right so washing really good after making sure you're opening the windows Um, you want to just reduce the amount of exposure that you have
1: the immunolytics test, the Petri de- uh, dish tests that are put mm-hmm. from room to room to room, if if you have mold coming up in one or two rooms, does this necessitate the whole house being cleaned?
2: It depends. So I actually had a patient a couple of weeks ago who did this test and uh, she sent me the report and a number, they see a number of doctors and a bunch of them were like, oh, you need to you know, you need to do this mold bomb in your house and all this other stuff. And I looked at it and I was like, do you have a dog? And she said, what? And I was like, well, if there's yeast in your carpet, like that's unusual. Do you have a dog? And she's like, yeah, I have a really yeasty dog. We call him the yeasty beast. And so the actual issue wasn't their home. It was their pet. Um, And their pet was transmitting things from room to room. And so it actually, for them, Cleaning their house was important, but that dog was just transmitting things over and over and over again.
1: Is that a common thing with pets or just, just this particular pet?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think it depends. It depends on like, what your pet is um, into and is cared for and what kinds of things that they have, right? So I think some people's pets have these types of things, but it was interesting that like, it, when I just looked at it, I was like, oh, this is an unusual type of yeast that you would see in a physical space. Now, are
1: are medical doctors on board with these testing and so forth, or do we need to see an integrative practitioner like yourself?
2: Yeah, um, so a lot of the mole tests you can do on your own. You don't actually need any practitioner. I don't think any of the companies require you to have a doctor to um, facilitate getting the test. Um, but then, what you do with that information is always sort of the next step. And so, there's certainly information on how to like treat mold online and there's lots of um, uh, tribe groups and and all people who have been through the experience. The one thing I would caution people is that as you remove mold from your body, um, it actually houses itself in something called biofilm. So biofilm is almost like a Vaseline on the inside of your body where things get caught and mold would be in there. But there'll also be things like heavy metals or bacteria or viruses and as you start healing your body from mold sometimes when that biofilm opens your body becomes exposed to a whole bunch of stuff it hasn't seen in a really long time and so sometimes you feel a lot sicker before you feel better and it's nice to have someone who already knows what they're doing and how to cope cope, to like coach you through all of that to be able to say okay this is just this this is the next step here's how we make it better here's how you slow down or speed up based on what your symptoms are Um, Because when you're doing it alone, it gets really scary when you don't feel well.
1: Are You're talking about a detox from the mold. Is this a natural thing that will happen once you clear the molds out from your house? Or are you talking about someone who's initiating a particular detox protocol on themselves?
2: It it can be both. So it depends on what, like, for instance, people can get um, symptoms even when they clean their house because they're going to get a whole bunch more mold um, exposure. Some people will... I have a couple patients who there's conference rooms in their office buildings that are particularly bad for them and they'll get symptoms just walking into that room. So they'll get runny noses, brain fog, saying that they're confused, get post nasal drip or sore throat or feel really tired. Um, And so there's like activity that can happen just with being exposed. And then there's activity that can happen as you try to remove it from your own body.
1: Now, what is the safe way to remove molds from your body? Is it a chelating IV method or is it sauna? How do we do it? Yeah.
2: So, So mold lives in fat tissue. So, that's why women generally experience it before men (laughs) because we have a little bit more of the fat tissue. Um, But we know things like saunas will certainly release it, sometimes way too fast for some people. Um, what we often, my sort of protocol, what I do for people is really help them with funding binders, so things that will help to capture that mold and move it out of their body in the best way possible, based on, you know, their reactions, how their body is, what things they've been exposed to. And then we sort of start at the top and work down. So we know that the nasal cavity and under the eyes and in the ears is often an area that gets really plugged and isn't necessarily always an area that's cleared very well. So kind of start at the top and then work through the body to kind of mobilize things in the intestinal tract and trying to get rid of some of that biofilm. But there's always that sort of combination that when you move mold, you move other stuff. And so you want to always kind of be prepared for all the things that could come out or Um, be impacted
1: along the way. One final question I have for you. Um, If you are exposed to mold in a particular situation, Mm -hmm. uh, say it's outside your house, say you've had an exposure, I don't even you went to your aunt's house and you got exposed to a a virulent mold. Mm -hmm. Can that, once you're pulled out from that situation where you've experienced the mold and you go home to a sort of a mold free home, will that mold necessarily work its way out of your body or once you have this mold that needs to be attended to, regardless?
2: It depends on your genetics, right? So 75% of people will be able to detoxify as soon as they get out of that environment on their own. And then maybe that's a few days or some, for some people weeks. week. Um, other people, depending on their le- le- level of exposure and how their bodies react, may have now just inherited, inherited that for that part, part moving forward. A big one I see is people who families have passed away and they've cleaned out their houses um, because they spend a lot of time going through all the old memorabilia and items. And then when they come back out of the house, they've been exposed to it for you know weeks, for some cases, maybe months, depending on how large the house is or how much stuff there is inside. Um, and that's a big one for when people start feeling ill after. And they always think that it's somewhat related to the death, right? The person's past. I feel sad because of that, but it's sometimes more than just Um, that emotional connection. There's actually a physical connection from being in their space.
1: That's very interesting. Now, I'm going to ask one quick question, something that just popped Mm. up into my head. Can you get accustomed to mold?
2: Um, Well, that's interesting. So my grandma there has a really moldy house and she loves her house. And when she's there, she is really unwell. And when she's not there, she is really a lot better. But she can't, she doesn't see it. Like she doesn't see that. And so I think that, there's emotional connection to some of the things or like the workplace or the car or the house um, that we don't see past necessarily to see how that affects our health.
1: That's very interesting. It's very interesting conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Before we end the show, if you could just tell everybody your website, social media sites in case they'd like to uh, work further with you or find out some more information, yeah. that'd be great.
2: Awesome. So uh, my website is Me. H E A L. Ingme.ca, and I have um, I have some awesome blogs and information up there I also have um, 10 ways to fight fatigue opt-in where you can just find some diff- easy at home and at work um, tips to to kind of um, start to get feeling better because fatigue is often that sort of alien in the room um, and I, I do have that Instagram site so it's um, healingme.nd so nd naturopathic doctor
1: Excellent. Thank you so much. That was a very interesting topic. So thank you for taking the time. I know you're a very busy person. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank
2: you for having me.
1: Everybody, next week, be sure to join us. We are live next week, and we're going to be talking about the role of emotions in health and disease with Dr. Iva Lloyd. So thank you for joining us today, and we'll talk to you next week on The Health Hub.